no big deal. A pop and a twist, a flick of the wrist, is what I told the girls down the block when they asked about the Cadillac hood ornament that hung heavy from my neck like Catholic guilt. I take what I want, I said, not believing a word, thankful that my trench coat covered my knees which quivered like freshly struck church bells. I'll see you around, I said, as, as, as I strutted back to my house, assuming my role as the altar boy turned badass. I reached my front door 15 minutes before my brother got home, sprinted up the steps to our room, removed the hood ornament, placed the relic back into its cigar box that reeked of cedar and bad decisions, and slid it back under my brother's bed. Stealing is a sin. Borrowing is just borrowing. No need to confess. This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of our live event series. Haymarket Books is a radical, independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. Peace, everybody. Welcome to tonight's event, our Haymarket Poetry event, the last one of 2021. Can't even believe it's been such a crazy year. Super excited, though, that we get to end out um, our cultural season by celebrating this incredible chapbook, The Patron Saint of Making Curfew by the one and only Tim Stafford. Um, He'll be joined by special guest Natasha Kirizoso. Omar Holman, Dan Sully Sullivan, and hosted by the incredible Kristen O'Keefe Aptowitz. Um, so yeah, we're going to get go ahead and get this kicked off. Kristen can go ahead and take it away. And please enjoy, blow up the chat, show mad love. We'll drop the links to the books so that you can purchase those as well. And uh, without further ado, kick it off, Kristen. Woo! Oh my gosh, I hope you all are hollering at home for our boy Tim Stafford. Uh, I'm so incredibly excited to be hosting this event virtually. I miss uh, seeing my friends in person, but I like being able to watch these incredible poets while wearing pajamas on the bottom half of my body. So we have an incredible lineup of warm-up poets for our boy Tim Stafford, and then he's going to read from his incredible new book, The Patron State of Making Curfew by the wonderful Haymarket Books. If you're going to support uh, a book, why not from an awesome independent press who uh, celebrates diverse voices? Let's do it. Uh, buy the books from them directly would be great. And if you, uh, or from your local independent bookstore, let's support independent businesses, independent artists, independent presses. And let's hear some independent voices. We've got three poets coming up. The first is Natasha Carazosa, also known as Natty, is a poet and writer. Her work is deeply rooted in her childhood and life experiences. Raised as the daughter of a fierce African-American mother and Mexican father, her writing reflects the dichotomy of these two rich cultures. She is the author of Mexa-Africana, Heavy Light and Crown. Her work has been published in Manteca, an anthology of Afro-Latino poets, Contro, Texas Poets Speak Out, Defunct Magazine, What? Cutthroat Magazine, Holler, Raising Mothers, and R2, the Rice Review from Rice University. She loves sitting outside, listening to music, birds, 
and watching the tree sway. I am so excited to bring to this stage Natty. Woo! Thank you, Kristen. Thank you, Hate Mark Books. Hate Market Books, and thank you, White Chocolate, as I call you, Tim Stafford. I am so honored to be here. I'm gonna just jump right into it. Um, I'm gonna read something that I never thought I would read. It's called White Boys Talking About. I'm from the South. Talking about means talking about. White boys talking about. These two white boys was talking about this new Aerosmith song. We all was in a mostly black middle school on the South side, bust to the hood from all over the place because we was smart. Every time I look at the mirror, all these lines in my face getting clearer. That ain't new. That's an old song I said. Everybody in the good kids circle looked at me like I was lying. Yeah, I know. Nobody knows where it comes and where it goes. I know it's everybody's sin. You got to lose to know how to win. I was a poor kid, a smart kid. My mind took me places, spirit kid. I was raised on record player. Photo albums found in song grew up before my time. Rock and roll was my pillow. Classic rock was my blanket. Anything Led Zeppelin. Janis Joplin, Ted Nugent, Credence, Clearwater, Leonard Skinner, Aerosmith, I could sang it. Passed my life in books, written pages, live and learn from fools and sages. You know it's true. All the things come back to you. I wish I may. I wish I might. Where did that come from? Must be my childhood. Got to be the rub. Must have been memory, some song. Sing with me, sing for the year, sing for the laughter, sing for the tear. Sing with me, if it's just for today, maybe tomorrow. Fellows, Granny, Mama, G, Joshua, yeah, sing with me, sing for the year. No, this ain't a new song. It is a before I knew blues song, a King Solomon song. There ain't nothing new under the sun song, dream on. Dream on, dream until your dreams come true. Maybe the white boys knew what they were talking about. So I got an email from the Harvard of the South, Rice University, asking for submissions. And um, I was like, you know what? I was defiant. I was like, they're not going to understand my language. They're not going to, they just won't get it. But rewind the time I was uh, somewhere in Philadelphia and there was a documentary uh, for Nirvana. Got to the end and Kurt Cobain was talking about the band's favorite artist, favorite singer, some dude named Lead Belly. And I thought to myself, I'm just keeping real. I'm like, how does white boy know about this black man that I ain't never heard of? So I wrote this and I sent it in and they took it. Indy Pines for my grandmother, Florine. My girl, my girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep? Last night, child, I'm sitting on this porch in the dock. First time I ain't shake in a long while. 
First time we done stood still in a long while. First time I feel that quiet in my bones in quite some time. Even the devil get tired of chasing lies. Everybody got to wait on God before it get dark. In the pines, in the pines, where the sun don't ever shine. I wonder what's on the other side, but I'm here afraid to ask. Is it really some pearly gates? Because I ain't never seen the pearl. Is the streets paved with gold? Because I ain't never had nothing but a nickel. My girl, my girl, don't lie to me. Tell me where did you sleep last night? Granny, I feel so old. In the pines, in the pines, where the sun don't ever shine. Granny. Is you dancing with Papa? Will you kiss Mama for me? Was it you that sent them bluebirds to sing for me? Pines in the pines where the sun don't ever shine. Granny, I think I'm sitting on this porch. It's like sitting in heaven sometime. I can't see nothing but dark, even in the daylight. You know what? In the pines, in the pines where the sun don't ever shine. I can still feel them bluebirds saying, my, you know, one thing I like about, uh, thank you, Tim. Mm. Um, I'm, let me just keep on. <laughs> I love you, Tim. Y'all by 50, 11 moment was uh, going to Tim's school and sharing with his students. And yeah, I could go on and on. Curfew. This is called hieroglyphs or listening to Nipsey for days. Who busts with a tire iron in his hand, warrior ready to bust sound like our brown daddy without break. The heads of some kids that beat up his friend whose name I cannot remember, another black boy before a bullet bang stopped him, him from becoming king. What happens to a dream deferred? They both claim crip. I remember bang. The kid ended up slumped in a playground right after on Easter Sunday, fellows joined him in becoming ancestor. I choked, smoke, writing down that line. My brother was 15, I'd not make it to see his 20s. We lived on Travis Avenue. I was in high school. I ain't never forgot that conversation. I remember he used to hold his breath every time mama left so red in the face he turned blue blood, so blue he turned purple. We ain't nothing to laugh at. Insert Aunt Antigone song tragedy. He claimed Piru. Another brown boy took down in his own imagination before lightning and lightning could strike. What happens to it? It gets swallowed up by the world. It been mama battle cry. It become black suit and tie. Strangle hallelujah. Shout out the hood. Insert any gang sign, praise, dance, it, forget, we, been, tribe, dance, way before David, it, deny, pyramids, again and again. What happens to a dream deferred? We shoot our sons down in broad daylight, underground tub, and we have always buried our gods, heavy load with our own bloody Tutankhamun. To the God, Tim.
Amazing. Thank you so much, Natty. What a way to kick it off. I am happy that I am not following you. It just happened in your life and you wish it could be recorded. Like a lot of poet weddings feel like independent movies. It's like all these characters. And there's an independent movie I really wish I could have been present for, which was our next poet, Omar Holman and Tim Stafford. And I was like, they're both nerds. This will work out great. And guess what, everyone? It worked out great. I only wish I could be there. Uh, but I'm happy to be here tonight. And I'm so excited to hear Omar perform. It has been a hot minute, Omar. Uh, Omar Holman's official bio is thus. Omar Holman is the co-author of the Black Nerd Problems book with Will Evans. I will do the devil's business if it means promoting my friend's books on the devil's website. Uh, you should absolutely get that uh, from your independent bookstore. Uh, he has been featured in the New York Times, Chicago Tribune, as well as the New York City Comic Con panels. Omar spends his time writing essays about pop culture for the Black Nerd Problems website. Please follow them on Twitter. They are always on point, as well as making gifts. Please welcome to our virtual stage, the incredible. I think that might've been like 10 years ago when I was hanging out with Tim in uh, Central Park. And I think he, uh, I wasn't in, I think he took me to the Guggenheim. <laughs> so it was like, it really just, it looked like an outreach program for little kids as he's walking me around. <laughs> that was like 25 at the time. And then we talked about uh, Julia Roberts and I think, what's her name? You're right. This is a great movie. I'm like, and that's how we bonded. Uh, so in, 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 in keeping with that, so here's a, here's a poem about my dad. I'll admit it, I kind of jumped the gun on that one. Starts off with a quote. In track and field, there is a rule regarding all sprint races that if the athlete moves within 0.1 seconds after the gun is fired, the athlete has false started. You to do this for me. Looking back, it must be hurtful to hear such a verbal confirmation that I'm more my mother's son. Dad asks, if someone came after you, what would you do? I'd run. He then points to the park two blocks away. If you, I mean, I almost tagged. It isn't until I get to the second block that I hear a something in the distance. It sounds like thunder, but there are no clouds. I realize that it's not coming from above, but from behind me. I turn around to see my father and feel the fear of God being put in me, realizing this is the first time I've ever seen this man run before his form was 1936 Jesse Owens Summer Olympics Perfect. Mind you, at eight years old, I have no idea who Jesse Owens is, but I somehow now know, having seen this man, Barry Allen towards me. That's a flash reference. I don't know why, but I'm thinking I still got a chance. I can see the tree. I have to be at least ah, halfway. As soon as I turn my head forward again, I feel the ground shake. I look to my left. Dad was already beside me. He ain't even even breathing heavy. You think the worst part of this story is that my father doesn't even acknowledge me as he passes me by, but it isn't. The worst part is that all I see now is him in front of me in a hot salmon pink colored button up blowing in the wind, beige shorts, high socks, and flip-flops. This man smoked me in flip-flops. When I finally make it to the tree, he doesn't smile or say anything. Just walks beside me as if nothing happened. And for the rest of the way, I'm hoping that he doesn't tell mom about this. 
<laughs> uh, man, trash man. It, was, it wasn't even a close race, man. It, and uh, yeah. he didn't want to get a rematch from me when I was old enough. Then he's like, "Oh, I don't have the proper shoes on." Whatever. Stop ducking me, old man. Uh, and here's a poem about my mom. Uh, Omar, move your laptop oh, a little. We, oh, you so, oh, when I slapped it, sorry. You're out with the forehead. There you go. I get very intimate in the, in the, in the, in the things will happen. Thank you. Uh, this, is a, this is a short poem. Uh, it's called Echo of an Epilogue. When you were here, you'd say, I won't always be around to do this for you. When you, when you weren't around anymore, you said, Isabel had three children. I'm the youngest. When I was in trouble, she stumbled through the first two's names before getting to mine. Casey, Travis, Omar, depending on how much trouble I was in, it was just my job to know who she was addressing. Travis, you know who you are. Get over here. You know how you hear the ocean when you put your ear to a seashell? But you know it. Uh, Sully Sullivan. Um is from his appearances on HBO's Deaf Poetry. Uh, how many people here by round of applause that I won't be able to hear have heard of Deaf Poetry? If you are younger than 30, you probably don't. Uh, but <laughs> if you're not, and I just want to state one of the most charming things is the first season was sort of brief, had a lot of superstars, and they opened it up. Like, hey, anyone can apply, and everyone put in applications. And I remember getting in. Now, I had just been let go from my um, from a job where I edited adult content. So, you know, my mother's Christmas card letter was thrilling. Uh, and I sent an email to everyone that said, from hobo to HBO, because I was so excited. We're good to go. Uh, and then uh, then I did not make the cut. And so I had to send out an email to everyone saying, from HBO back to Hobo. But the people <laughs> who went from Hobo to HBO and stayed there included Tim Stafford and Dan Sully Sullivan. Uh, so applaud them. I appreciate the commitment to the Hobo look that Sully has continued to have. Lo, these many years later, he is like a crisp hobo, though. He is like gold standard future hobo. I'm just kidding. I, you know I love a man with a beard. So here is his official bio. Dan Sully Sullivan has been reading, writing, performing, and teaching poems for over two decades. He is a three-time Chicago Poetry Slam champion. What, what? and recipient of the Gwendolyn Brooks Open Mic Award, Earl J.S. Ho Creative Writing Teaching Award, and the Writer in Southeast Asia Award. His poems have popped up recently in Guernica Magazine, The Chicago Reader, The Golden Shovel Anthology, and his first book of poems, The Blue Line Home, was published by E.M. Press in 2014. Respect the mic! Celebrating 20 years of poetry from the Chicagoland High School, edited by Hanif Adurakib, Franny Choi, Sully, and Peter Khan is forthcoming in February from Penguin Workshop and celebrates 20 years of poetry from the Oak Park River Forest High School Spoken Word Club. Sully is one half of Deaf Poetry's stand-up duo, Death From Below, alongside Timmy. Come on, put me in the coach team. Give me a chance, Stafford. Please welcome to the stage our man from HBO. Unlike me, it's Sully Sullivan! <laughs> 
Thanks, Kristen. Could you could you mention HBO again for me? Would that be our HBO's <laughs> Foxy Bear? Dan Sully Sullivan, everyone. Gold standard future hobo is actually my Wu Tang name, so uh, I appreciate that. Um, this is so exciting, Tim. I, I'm so happy to be here. Um, I, I'm part of the reason this is exciting to me is because I've known Tim for a really long time. Like we we were on HBO together. Um, HBO's Deaf Poetry. We've toured the world. Um, we gave Smokey Robinson a three-way hug. Um, and um, I knew Tim when he was still making chapbooks out of uh, duct tape and wishful thinking. Um, and now he's fancy here. He's with Haymarket, you know, rocking the Nike joggers instead of the Hanes comfort waists. <laughs> he's just not the same Tim I knew. He's all grown up now. Um, I'm, I'm excited for this book, uh, but I'll get into it. Um, first poem here is called The uh, Wave Built in the Form of Prayer. I get this gravity from my mom's side. My father was always thin, and I don't mean to speak of him like he's dead. He's not thin anymore. I know the earth pulls us closer as we age, but his softer body doesn't make me think of tombs. I think of passage and mirrors. I'm most aware of my body when it fails me. On a day we evade Chicago, head out on a hike with Colin and Angie, I stop to rest on large rocks and say, I'll catch up more often than I'd like. They don't judge me, but I feel the callicated sweat of difference on my back. My relationship with my body slash city has always been complicated. I'm never sure if it's mine. On the south side, all the corner bars had old style signs that read Zimni Pivo, which is Polish for cold beer. My cousin Scott came to visit and said, this Zimni guy owns a lot of bars around here, huh? When I was six, we moved to the first suburb west of downtown. In high school, the city was an escape. I'd skateboard at the old Amico building or hit an open mic off Damon, but always found my way home. I'm on the outside and inside simultaneously. I've stood sometimes for what was maybe days on suburban L train stops just trying to get out of the rain. I try to stand taller than I usually feel. I pull my hands back behind me and lean forward to open my chest in yoga. I think this is called stretching. I swear some days the memory foam in my mattress remembers it hates me. Say my weight in the mirror three times and it appears. When does my body stop being a goal? As a boy in Chicago, I could just be a mid-June wave crawling up North Avenue shore, fluid as lip-lapping land. Thank you. April is National Celery Month. Celery tastes like grass water. You can snap. You know the old jingle? Snap some grass water in your mouth. People who say cheese curds are overrated are the same that think celery is a snack. It's not good. It means nothing to your body. Celery is the grossest placebo. You may ask, Sully, but what about antioxidants? And I'll answer you, yes, what about them? 
This isn't some fat guy rant about how real men eat cheeseburgers. I'm pescatarian and carrots are my jam. I can go ham on some Brussels sprouts. This isn't a metaphor. It isn't about how something can feel like nothing, how bright and crisp emptiness can be. It's about celery and how much I hate it. Do one more and get out of here. <laughs> I'm looking at my own body. One, I'm built like all my uncles, like a football coach, like a football, like a couch, like a teardrop camper, like a yoga ball, like a pink Prius, like a pulpit, like a poorly assembled barn, like half a Nancy's pizza, like a block of cheddar. I look like, I smell like a cabin, like I just ate your auntie's Labor Day casserole, like I like Seth Rogen movies, like a whole milk latte, like I just have to embrace the man boob, like hold myself in the mirror, like a mirror is different than a photo, like I don't know if I see what I want to or need to, like I see how much I regulate gravity, like gravity loves me too much, like damn gravity, I need some space too. My partner apologizes for posting a picture of me online without a shirt on as if she anticipates the way I wince when I catch myself on screen. I don't want her to see me feeling unattractive. My coworker Shane wears sweats to the office like Tim Stafford and doesn't bat a lash. They say black is slimming, but it's not my color. I'm more envy or disconsolate. I tailor every pair of flat front pants I buy. I bet I spend more time thinking about optical illusions than anyone. I hope my peppered beard lengthens me, makes a road of a molehill. It must be freeing for some folks not to think about their body when they walk into the office or a classroom or a bedroom. There's no easy way to feel uncomfortable. Whoever said nothing tastes as good as skinny feels ain't never been to pierogi fest in Whiting, Indiana, but I have been thin and there is something else to feel too. Three, Noah said the only reason we celebrate anything is for food. I wanna celebrate the body I'm in, but everything that fits has got a letter X on its collar like my framework's taboo. Like I'm at a threshold, like I'm crossing over, like I'm in, unknown quantity. Am I oversharing when I say that I'm fat? I know you know. I'm just walking and a man on the street works to get my attention, repeats, hey, big guy, hey, big guy, hey, big guy. He asked for two bucks and now I'm more aware of my own body than his situation. Point it out and I'll think about it, but don't point it out. That's the point. It's like an elephant in my bedroom. Do you assume I'm spending too much time consuming? This is not about control. I'm thinking more about chaos. Coward and outlaw look similar on paper. By chaos, I think I mean perception. And by coward, I mean confidence. By outlaw free, I'm a fractal composite of what I think you see. What are you thinking? From where I'm standing, how many shadows I cast depends on how much light there is. Four, would it be too much to call these stretch marks a map?
too much to connect the dots into the shape of yes or conjure constellations, too much to think of the sun, then cancer, then Aries, then fire, too much to ignore the mirror or befriend it, to pretend skin means something more than skin, too much to know there's not too much of me. It's not too much to watch these rivers flood across my stomach and feel the earth is nothing without its oceans. And that's that piece. Tim, uh, I'm so happy for you. Haymarket feels like a fitting partnership. They're as lucky to have you as you are them. And I can't wait to hear and read the hell out of your scrappy suburbanite poems. Uh, I'm going to pass this back over to the bee's knees, the ringer of the bells, the cat's pajamas, spider's ankles, the exemplar, the epitome, any a fellow matriarch of this rap game, the author of 150 books, 148 of which are just incredible, writer extraordinaire, host with the most, Kristen O'Keefe. Thank you, Sully. And again, you watch that, you go, holy crap, I did not know all that talent, all these poets, please pick their books up. Sully's book is called The Blue Line Home, published by EM Press and available at your local independent bookstore. So support all of the poets here tonight. But now it is time for the main show. Now, Tim had said, hey, uh, I'm going to have you do a couple poems. Uh, before I go on, which is exactly who Tim is, uh, but absolutely not. I am not wasting uh, a moment of this time talking about myself and my work when I could be spending uh, gassing up Tim Stafford. Uh, so Walt Whitman uh, said, in order to have great poets, you need to have great audiences. And one of the things that Tim Stafford is, above all else, is a great audience for the poets in his community, in his classrooms, uh, and in his poetry family. Uh, I have been sitting next to Tim Stafford at poetry events across this beautiful country of ours, and he is listening with his full heart uh, and using the full power of his hands and voice to support everyone up on that stage, swarms the merch table, brings extra copies so he can give it to his students, uh, is knows exactly what will make uh, a great audience and then brings that onto his performance. We featured uh, Tim many times at the Bowery Poetry Club where I ran a uh, weekly poetry slam called NYC Urbana. And every time you could just reliably uh, sit back and know that Tim was going to do an incredible show. One of my favorite moments of a Tim show was at the very end, Tim was like, hey, I've been reading all of my work tonight. It's available in my chat books. Come see me afterwards. But, you know, too many times we poets focus on ourselves and our work when we have these spotlights. And I am a poet who believes to share a spotlight. And we're like, what? Yes, preach. And he's like, so I'm going to read this poem uh, by a poet I feel like you all know. Uh, and feel free to join if you know the words. And we're like, mm, like who is it going to be? And he begins this piece. And Taylor Molly the whitest man on earth is leaning forward and he goes, is it Sandberg? Is it, who is he? I know this piece. Ladies and gentlemen, he was doing a spoken word rendition of John Bon Jovi's, uh, was it with a prayer? What is it? What is it? Living on a prayer. Living on a prayer. Just as earnest, uh, just killing it. And by the middle, when it gets the refrain, people got along. And this cynical, 
hard-hearted New York City audience was on its feet just like screaming these Bon Jovi lyrics to the universe. And it was just a perfect, like spectacular moment of joy uh, that only Tim Stafford could have conceived and executed. And I am so grateful to be alive in the world while he is a member of our community and so honored to be hosting an event when we finally get to see his poems all collected in print instead of having to buy Lit Journal here, Anthology here. Uh, definitely buy his amazing classroom anthology, which I have given to many a teacher in my lifetime to learn them burn. Uh, but definitely pick up, the uh, link is in the chat, his amazing new book, which is being released tonight. Now. I was telling our old friend, Shappy C. Schultz, host of NYC Urbana Poetry Slam in New York City about having to host this tonight. And I said, man, I've got to really kill it with the bio. I want to I wanna show how much I love them. And he's like, Kristen, you're too corny, man. You're going to get emotional. You're going to say sweet things. This is Tim Stafford. This is not what he wants. He's like, let me handle it. So the amazing Shappy C. Schultz wrote a bio for Tim. He said to me, Kristen, how much do you want this to be true? And I was like, well, I don't know, 80, 20. But I never explained if it was the 80 that should be true or the 20. So reading this for the first time off of my phone uh, and as a way of introducing our amazing Tim Stafford, Shappy C. Schultz's Stafford bio. <clears throat> Tim Stafford is a plucky individual with a zest for all things punk in life. After skateboarding to an all-ages vegan hardcore show being held in the back of an abandoned Rack's Roast Beef restaurant, a young Stafford suddenly discovered what community was all about when he caught, caught in a mosh pit of frustrated teen angst. One day, Stafford mused, I will teach these disenfranchised youth how to live their truth through the power of poetry and then we will burn the school down. Well, friends, Tim never did a get around to burning schools down, at least that we know of. But he did set young minds ablaze by putting together two volumes of classroom-friendly performance poetry, what was once known as slam poetry in the 20th century. It was called Learn Then Burn, published by Right Bloody Press and is still being used in classrooms across the country. Tim is a regular performer in the Chicago performance poetry scene for many years. He can be found guest hosting the Uptown Poetry Slam, where Poetry Slam was born, hosting a round of high school poets competing in Louder Than a Bomb, playing a variety of roles for the Encyclopedia Show, or touring around the country with fellow shortstack poet Dan Sully Sullivan as poetry tag teams Death From Below, who somehow ended up on HBO's Death Poetry through the use of a microscopic lens. I do not approve of everything written in this bio that I am reading for the first time out loud. <clears throat> Tim has performed all over the globe like a globetrotter, except poetry is his tricky basketball shot. Folks in Denmark, Sweden, and Germany have all seen Tim on stage and grinding the rails of their many beloved institutions and museums because that's how punk Tim Stafford is. Not only is Tim punk as fuck, he is also sweet, fun-sized Snickers bar of a human being, of human kindness. So let's celebrate Tim and his latest collection of hardcore beauty, the patron saint of making curfew. Thank you, Shappy C. Schultz. Please welcome to our virtual stage, Tim! 
Oh, hey, gang. Wow, that was uh that was that needed to be updated, uh, but uh, but surprisingly accurate. Um, <clears throat> I um, yeah. So for those of you who don't know what HBO Death Poetry Jam is, it's like button poetry, but nobody watched it. That's basically what it was. Um, it, we get a I got a fat. I but you know like it's funny, but like the royalty checks keep rolling in. I got one for nine dollars and eighty nine cents uh, last year. So joke is on you. Um, hey y'all, uh, I'll, I'll talk about all y'all eventually, but uh, I'm trying to be smiley, not cryy. So um, uh, I, I this is this is why we're here. I got this book. I got it today. It, it's little. It's beautiful and tiny, just like me. Um, so I'm very I'm very excited about it. I, you know, thank you everybody for being here. Thank you um, Haymarket for for putting this on. Thank you for the the people who are on the YouTube's. Thank you uh, Pete Khan who keeps texting texting me about the technical difficulties that I have no control over, but it does give me great anxiety. So um, <clears throat> I'm gonna kick it off. Uh, this is the 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 titular poem uh, of it. Um, I am. I grew up in a in a in a town called Lyons, which is uh, just outside of Chicago. And uh, we used to we used to go to um, I, you know we, when we discovered like punk rock shows, like we uh, the internet was still bad uh, back then. So you had to do you had to do work. It wasn't it wasn't worth it. Um, so we would you know find somebody who had a car and we'd go. And my buddy uh, Danny Espinoza had um, he had a Ford. Escort, which um, th that cover, first of all, shout out uh, Jordan Gullet. Uh, well, his name, if he was from Montreal, his name would be pronounced Jordan Goulet, but he's from McHenry County, so it's Jordan Gullet. Uh, and uh, he he drew a very nice representation of the Ford Escort that we used to take to shows. The Ford Escort uh, that is a part of this poem. Um, I hope you uh, enjoy it. <clears throat> this is called. The patron saint of making curfew. There is nothing punk about an 11.30 p.m. curfew. There is nothing punk about making sure my little ass is in the front door at 11.30 before my dad leaves for work. Danny Espinoza gave no shits about my curfew. If he did, he hid them in the dark recesses of his Ford Escort. By them, I mean his shits, as in deep shit, which I remind Danny is what I will be in if I'm not home by 11.30. There should have been enough time to get back to our suburbs. The all-ages show ended at 10.30, but it was a slow night, and the promoter was in no rush to push us out into the frozen tundra of Chicago in January. Danny lingered near the merch tables, hobnobbing with the bands who just played and must not have the same time restrictions I do. Danny's co-pilot, John, was talking to a couple of girls with bleached hair dyed blue, fading to green from far off suburbs with lake or grove in their names. It didn't matter which, because John would not visit them because his car was older and shittier than Danny's, which is why Danny drove us to the city. I did not complain. I had no car, and Danny never asked for money, but it was 1045 and I had to go. 
Danny relented with 45 minutes to spare, an impossible task on an eighth of a tank of gas. Though not as shitty as John's car, Danny's car was still pretty shitty, which is why Danny Espinoza did not take highways, opting for the red light ridden and train track side streets into the gradual mesh of suburb to city. Once safely ensconced in the back seat, Danny popped in a 90 minute mixtape and promised I'd be home by the end of side A. Straight west from 2646 Fullerton, through a hipsterless Logan Square, past the Super Mercado where I first saw Lowrider bounce with hydraulics. Past Kedzie, past Kimball, not till we passed Central Park did we realize all the traffic lights were green. Green like the money we did not have for gas. Green like the hair of the girls John would never visit. Now to become a saint, the nominee must be beatified. They must have proven miracles. And this was his first because he never took his foot off the the gas and the lights stayed green. Past Pulaski, past Cicero, past Austin, all the way to Harlem where the first red light greeted us but swiftly clicked on its left turn arrow. We proceeded south through Hemingway's hometown, past the billiard hall where I learned what it meant to get hustled and how to not let it happen to me. As we crossed the Burlington Northern tracks in Berwyn, I noticed the other miracles. The gas tank was now half full. The cigarette Danny constantly puffed never burned to its filter. Danny's tires squealed as he pulled off of Harlem and onto the road that cut through my town. The final song on the mixtape came on, so we had maybe two minutes. Past the quarry, past the adult video store, the tiny car barreled down my block during the final chorus. I leapt from the back seat, trampled through my front yard, bounded up the front steps, reaching the front door just as my dad made his exit. He stared at me, looked back towards the clock on the kitchen wall and said, 1128, a fucking miracle. And that's that piece. Um, yes, I lived in great fear of... Uh, my my dad was like a pretty nice dude, uh, but I was just in in constant fear, uh, constant fear. Uh, it wasn't until I made my HBO debut that he realized I I was uh, I was going to be something. So uh, shout out, shout out, Home Box Office Network. Uh, we met, yeah, we did meet Smokey Robinson there. Uh, took a picture with Smokey Robinson. Uh, he looks uh, he looks like a zombie. It's a really cool pick. Um, it it's a it's a family favorite. Um, we also met Rev Run, um, who uh, was not as entertaining of our shenanigans as Mr. Smokey Robinson. But, you know, it's OK. We can't you can't please everybody. You know, um, uh, I'm going to do another poem because that's what this is about. Uh, so this poem is called uh, there's a venue in Chicago called the uh, the Metro, which is a, a legendary venue. It's kind of like it's the spot where like your band is like. You, you got to play the Metro and that's like the symbol. If you do really well at the Metro, that means like your band is going to be big. Like you're going to like, you know, like in Chicago, that's where like Smashing Pumpkins played uh, before they got huge. Fall Out Boy, Rise Against, all that stuff. Uh, but they used to do these uh, $5 punk shows, which were crucial to me because I got into punk rock and skateboarding at the same time, uh, but uh, had no money. Uh, and those are two kind of expensive hobbies. So a $5 punk show was uh, was crucial. So um, <clears throat> this is called The Metro. Remember when the Cubs were shit 
And Daly had yet to sell the city's soul in exchange for parking meters. And even if you couldn't find a parking space, you could park at McDonald's for like six bucks that you could pay for with the collected pocket change of the eight kids we crammed into a four-tour station wagon with an Operation Ivy sticker on the back. And all you needed to bring was 10 bucks because the Metro was doing punk shows for five bucks, which left you with enough money to buy a seven-inch record and a bean burrito at the Taco Bell the Cubs just tore down, which means there is nothing left for me in that neighborhood. Thank you. Uh, shout out to the Taco Bell. Shout out to the Taco Bell. Uh, what's up, dude? No, you can't. Why? Because he told you. My son is on a little punishment right now, and he's trying to negotiate while I'm while I'm while I'm speaking to the people, while I'm speaking to the masses, trying to catch me in a moment of weakness. All right, don't mess with it. All right. So now, um, uh, I love him. Uh, he, and so here's the thing, like, I'm not a, uh, you know, I like doing these things online because, uh, you can't tell, uh, that I am like, you know, 410. Um, but like in person or like on these, it's like, oh, like I, I, Natty and I, we do a lot of work with kids. Um, we do these kids camps, we do these like kind of like motivational camps, especially like first generation kids going to college. Um, and it's great. Cause I talk about, um, I talk about things like, uh, oh, so what's, I was really good at a sport in high school. What do you think it was? And people are like, basketball, like water polo. I'm like, you, you, mm-mm, you're dumb. Uh, so, um, so yeah, I, I do enjoy this. Natty, I, I've missed you so much. I'm sick of seeing you uh, virtually. I would like to see you in person. Uh, Kristen, I think we could, uh, a couple more months will be okay. Um, so this one, uh, this is called, <clears throat> So my brother was a, uh, my brother had an epic, I have an older brother. He's three years older than me. Uh, he was like, like now looking back, he was like a super cool, like patient brother. He took me to my first concert, um, when I was a freshman in high school and he was a senior. Um, so like when he could have been like, you know, meeting girls and buying weed, uh, he was taking me to concerts. So uh, big shout out to uh, Matt Stafford. I seize you, I seize you. Um, <clears throat> but he was also like, he's been a low key, like scammer his whole life, uh, like in, in like the most wholesome way. Um, so he got busted in high school for having a gambling ring. But um, this is about another time. Uh, this is called, <clears throat> I got a lot of long titles in this book and that's, uh, and deal with it, America. Uh, this is called now that the statute of limitations is up. Let's talk about all the times my brother scammed the Columbia House Record Club. <clears throat> my brother was a kingpin who measured his fortune in jewel cases. Boxes showed up on the daily addressed to every person, pet and imaginary friend in our house, only with an extra letter in our last name. My brother scooped them up before our mom came home, whisked them to the back room where he amassed his empire eight to 10 CDs at a time. CD towers were purchased to keep up with demand like real estate developers trying to keep up with a booming population. His room looked like the skyline of an ever expanding metropolis, a subtle flex on any visitor. He didn't have one album by your favorite band. He had every album by every band you ever heard of. The bills would arrive with slightly altered names, each more strongly worded than the last. They'd given us their eight CDs for a penny. Now they wanted blood to be extracted one $20 CD at a time. My brother, calm and dismissive, simply informed them that no one by that name lived here. He called every bluff 
dodged every threat. Soon, the bill stopped arriving altogether. He was untouchable. He was John Gotti in a Metallica t-shirt, a band whose entire discography he possessed. Yeah. <clears throat> Always nice to work in a John Gotti and a Metallica reference. If any of you young people are, you know, trying to be poets and looking for tips, that's 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 number one right there. Uh, <clears throat> Omar, um, Omar, I, I I don't see you enough in real life. Um, we went we went to the Kandinsky exhibit. Uh, that's what it was at the Guggenheim. Uh, we start, we went in the, we walked around the circle. Uh, we just kept going. And the great thing was we we performed at an old folks home in Manhattan. Uh, that's that's what we did. Uh, and they weren't ready for you. They weren't ready for you at ten o'clock in the morning, Omar. Omar was like. Oh, because because uh, Taylor Molly put on it's like, oh, just treat it like it's like it's a poetry slam. Wow. Oh, like there were some hearing aids that were that were non-functional at the end. It was dope. Um, <clears throat> but then they're like, you know, at the afterwards, uh, he goes to Omar. He's like, you know, Tim has to get to the to the Bowery tonight. You know, can you make sure he gets there? Like, yeah, sure. I'm like, OK, cool. Where do we go? And he's like, I'm from Jersey. I don't know. So uh, that was dope. So we were lost in in New York City. Not very reassuring. Um, so uh, good to see you, Omar. I can't wait now that you are a, a New Yorkian. Um, I, you know, I really we will go to the Met. It'll be dope. Um, this poem, uh, we we used to. So if you can't tell yet, I'm old. And um, so one of the things that we did um, back in the day, like to show that, like, you were cool if you because I grew up like with a bunch of like ratchet kids, like we weren't like we weren't bad, like we weren't going to like break into your house. A couple well, one of them might break into your house, but we would just do like stupid stuff. And uh, the big thing was uh, Cadillac hood ornaments um, where. Because they used to stick out and you just go like and, and pop them off. I never did that. Um, but uh, my brother got a hand, got his hands on one. I know he didn't do it. He was he was a goody goody. Um, but it was gold. And that was like that was it. And so but I was never allowed like he he kept that stuff like in, I guess, like when he went to the club. I don't know. Uh, he was 16. I don't know what club he's going to. But um, this is also uh this is my, my partner, Hugh, who she moved in with me when uh, when the world ended. Um, and that's dope uh, because she is uh, she's awesome. Uh, every time that uh, people meet her, um, they're very happy to know me because now they know her and they have no use for me anymore. Um, but uh, she is she's just been the, the best to be. Uh, stuck with. She's the best to be hanging out with. She's the best. Uh, I'm really, I don't know. She's my, uh, she's just, she's, she's the best. Uh, and I'm looking forward to uh, traveling and seeing all the, all the fools on the screen um, and, and bringing her with and, and having y'all show us where to eat. So uh, this is her favorite poem. So <clears throat> uh, this is called Cadillac Hood Ornament. No big deal. A pop and a twist, a flick of the wrist is what I told the girls down the block when they asked about the Cadillac Hoda ornament that hung heavy from my neck like Catholic guilt. I take what I want, I said, not believing a word, thankful that my trench coat covered my knees, which quivered like freshly struck church bells. I'll see you around, I said, as, as, as I strutted back to my house, assuming my role as the altar boy turned badass. 
I reached my front door 15 minutes before my brother got home, sprinted up the steps to our room, removed the hood ornament, placed the relic back into its cigar box that reeked of cedar and bad decisions, and slid it back under my brother's bed. Stealing is a sin. Borrowing is just borrowing. No need to confess. I like doing books because you could do short ones. You could do short ones, and it's and it and it takes up another tip for you young writers out there. Uh, short poems take up just as many pages as like a medium length one. So there, there you go. Um, <clears throat> Sully, Sully, my boy. Um, how about Dan Sully? Uh, Dan Sully and his and his poems. Um, he's got a manuscript floating around, so I highly suggest that if you um, run a press, uh, I, I highly suggest that uh, you just scoop that um, because he uh, is a he's always been like a, a, a cocky little shit, but uh, very talented and awesome. Um, and we've gotten to like. You know, my last like real big trip, we we got to go to uh, we performed in Germany together and uh, he's living in Indianapolis. I'm living uh, just outside of Chicago. Uh, so we don't see each other in person as much. Uh, and it went from we didn't see each other for a few months and then we just linked up in Germany. And it's like it's like nothing. Uh, every time I'm with them, it's just like the the old homies just just back um, and like no time has passed. And uh, and this book is really um you know, that's what I wrote it for. I wrote this book for, um, you know, like for my people, like for my, you know, just like the, the people who, um, who I've met in the, in the poetry world. Um, and also the people who have just been a part of my life and they, they like that I do poetry. They're not, you know, poets themselves, but, um, they've always been supportive. And, and, you know, this book has been, um, you know, like from, you know, from the cover art, you know, my buddy Jordan, who does a lot of awesome work, um, who is a professional, uh, he was like, I got you. Uh, I, I got this for you. Uh, uh, Maya, who um, who edited it, uh, Maya, who's just been I've been a fan of uh, who I've hung out with in Chicago quite a bit, um, you know, having her edit it and take me through that process, which I always thought was going to be super scary. Um, but to have her you know, uh, kind of usher me, shepherd me through that process. It was, it was awesome. Uh, having Erica, uh, who also know from, from back in the day, like being like my, my connect at the press, it's just been, um, you know, this is just a book for, for all the friends, for all the homies, for everybody. Uh, it's a small book, so I don't have that many friends, but, um, I really love the, the ones that I got. Um, <clears throat> Sully, this one is for you. Uh, I did a, I, I did a version of this poem back in the day, but, um, so Lyons is next to a town called Berwyn and Berwyn is, has a reputation for kind of being like, like a, like an edgier suburb. Like, you know, like it's, it's got, um, you know, it's got its rough parts, but, uh, it's also has its own, it's just got its own thing. It's kind of like the, it's kind of like a little New Jersey, uh, almost. Um, so, uh, it's almost like a little Jersey shore outside of Chicago that has, but without the ocean. Uh, so there's really no reason to go there. Um, but there's these super cool people. Um, and when I was a kid, I was in love with, uh, these girls, uh, we call them the Berwyn dance Queens because they were, hair, big hair, Cavaricis, IOU shirts, and I'm wearing a Metallica shirt and like ripped up jeans. I, I never, I never had a chance. Like I, I never had a shot, but I, I always admired from afar. So this is, um, 
like they were just cool. Like they were like they were just really cool and they'd fight like in the middle of a Walgreens. It was dope. So um, this is called Ode to the Berwyn Dance Queens. <clears throat> Diamond girls cruise down 22nd Street in black Chevy Cavaliers with purple ground effects and kicker boxes in their trunks. Blast the Z95, B96 or the freestyle mega mixes they got at the kiosk in North Riverside Park Mall that sells bootleg cassettes and bootleg concert shirts that are as stiff as the Queen's bangs that are teased to the heavens and cemented in place with handfuls of Vidal Sassoon mousse and lacquered with a coat of Aquanet hairspray sticking out from their foreheads like unicorn horns. Maintain instruct. Is that maintain structural integrity while they do the running man or the Roger rabbit on the dance floors of the sketchiest juice bars. The kind where the old dudes who work at structure and drive white Mustang 5.0s creep on underage girls, but the Berwyn dance Queens don't care because it's not like it'll be the first time they bust their manicured nails, shattering a dude's nose like pinata for talking that shit, leave them bleeding all over their Z Cavariches while the Queens head over to Mr. Taco, which isn't the best but they're open late so it's perfect pagers still get blown up by hopeful suitors who have to wait until tomorrow who have to come correct who have to work on their dance moves if they want to keep up much love berman dance queens berman dance queens the the, the bdqs um yeah, I, I'm telling y'all, the 90s were crazy. Omar, I'll tell you all about the 90s one day. We'll sit you down and we will just we'll we'll go through it all. Well, I'll, I'll put together a slideshow. Um, this poem um, I, I wrote, uh, obviously, shit, I'm losing it. I haven't done one of these in so long. Um, I uh, this poem was uh, in free freeze ray press. Rob Sturma, shout out. Um, I, I don't send out many poems for publication uh, because uh, I'm weird, uh, but he he found a home for this one. Um, uh, it's about uh, Anthony Bourdain, who's you know was a was a dude that I, I you know I looked up to in in a lot of ways. Uh, I think that he showed a lot of people. I think he showed Americans, but I think he especially showed like white people like how to not be shitty uh, when you you know when you travel, like how to you know like just how to embrace what's there and not like force uh, you know not to force things to happen, just kind of like go for the experience, and that's been. Um, something that I tried to embrace. Um, and I, my, my dream was that like, I was like, yo, he's going to come to Chicago one time. Cause he started to do jujitsu. I was like, he's going to come to Chicago and you know what? Um, we're going to, I'm going to end up doing jujitsu with him, and we're going to go get hot dogs. Um, that can't happen anymore. So now I was like, well, we could go anywhere. So, um, Anthony Bourdain was in you know New York in the seventies. He was going to a lot of punk rock shows, um, and stuff like that. So, <clears throat> I decided to to have it take place there. So uh, this is called uh, Anthony Bourdain takes me to a punk show in 1979. And starts with a quote, this ain't no mud club or CBGB talking heads. He walks with a junkie's confidence down streets that are as dark as overlapping shadows. The popped collar of his leather jacket is all that protects him from the freezing wind that, though blowing from seemingly all directions, does not diminish his ability to light a fresh cigarette. 
I don't know how many blocks we've walked from his restaurant in a not cool part of Manhattan to this wasteland on the Lower East Side, but he's already explained the current state of punk rock in New York City, which bands broke up, who moved, who OD'd, who died. He's listed dozens of names, both popular and obscure, the A-sides and the B-sides. And I struggle to keep up because he is obviously on speed. And I'm relieved he took a bump with the boys on the kitchen crew because I'm afraid I wouldn't be able to turn him down if he offered. Down the block, he dips mid-conversation into the doorway of a broken down tenement any paying tenant moved out of years ago. We climb at least as many floors as blocks we walk to get here until we reach an open unit turned after hour spot. There is no cover charge for Tony. He tells me he brings in the artists, punks, prostitutes, and dealers to his restaurant on slow nights, claims his spaghetti bolognese help the doorman deal with being dope sick. I do my best to avoid eye contact with the kid, maybe 12 years old, with a spiked dog holler who is growling at random patrons that must be used to this act because they don't give a shit. I'm surprised but relieved when the kid climbs behind the drum set and counts off one, two, three, four to kick off the first song. Tony finds me mid-song and yells in my ear about how great this band is. Then he asks if I could find my way back without him because he's got to find a guy about a thing. I tell him no problem. He thanks me, hands me a bread roll he's hidden in his pocket, still warm from the evening surface, and he is off. That's that one. Uh, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm, I, there's some poems that uh, come really fast. That one, I would. I worked on that one, Kristen. I worked on that one. Kristen, Kristen O'Keefe afterwards. Um, Kristen, for those of you who, uh, yeah, you, uh, for those of you that don't know, Kristen uh, has written, like Sully said, about 150 poetry books. Um, uh, she wrote a, a nonfiction bestseller, Dr. Mutter's Marvels. Um, it's Philly, Philly to the bone. Uh, she is uh, full of Philly pride. Uh, we went, uh, and Sully, you reminded me of this with your poem talking about carrots. And we, uh, I was in Philadelphia, and uh, and Hugh and I, we went to the Mutter Museum, and it was like, oh, this is this is cool. But uh, so the, it's a, a museum of medical oddities. Um, a lot of stuff in formaldehyde. Um, it was. It was a little like it's a little unsettling, but then they had an exhibit about the Civil War and they had foods of the Civil War and they just had a pile of beef jerky and it was just the grossest thing in the world. So we went and ate vegan food and Sully, I had the best carrot I've ever had in my life. And I think about that carrot a lot. Um, and it's all because of Kristen and, and Dr. Mutter's Marvel. So so thank you, Kristen. I, I hope all of you have a Kristen uh, friend in your life. Uh, Kristen is that person who, uh, will, will call you out on your shit in the most constructive and positive, uh, and forward moving way. Like, uh, what are you, what are you working on? Uh, have you tried this? What about this? This, 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 there's no escape. Um, you will have homework. Uh, she will give you assignments. Um, uh, and she will, but when you, when you, when you, when you kill it, uh, it is uh, making making when she's like, yeah! uh, that's how, you know, you 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 nailed it. So. Uh, so thank you, Chris. And thank you for I know that like you are, um, you know, a bit of a, a bit of a hermit with all your secret passages and uh, hiding in, in your bunker in Austin. So uh, thank you for uh, coming out and, and doing this one. Uh, speaking of uh, 
coming out. Uh, this one is about coming out to the open mic uh, in uh, 1996. It was a very special time. Um, this is when there were coffee shops all over the world or all over the suburbs that, uh, I don't know how they made money. Cause they're, they're what they all had in common was their coffee tasted like garbage. Uh, their furniture smelled like cat urine, uh, but they always had an open mic. Uh, and this is, uh, this is about that. This one goes out to, uh, to Baz, who's going to help me out with this. We're doing a live release, uh, in person, gotta have a vax card, gotta have a mask, uh, in Chicago, on Thursday night, um, there'll be if somebody could put that information in the chat for me. That would be dope. We have a few pre-sale tickets left, um, but then we're going to have some available at the door. So just uh, coming out, I will have copies of the book there for sale. If you buy a reserve ticket, it's ten bucks, and that means you get a book. So it's it's I'm forcing you to buy a book is all it is. So um, this is called. <clears throat> For each dude who thought he was the first to play Wonderwall at the open mic in 1996, <clears throat> there is a line outside the coffee shop that stretches down the block, around the corner, past the other coffee shop whose line is just as long, but stretches in the opposite direction, past yet another coffee shop with its own line extending into the distance. Each line is packed with dudes tuning and retuning the acoustic guitars they bought with graduation money, along with picks, hep necklaces, but no lessons. A parade of talentless zombies with frosted tips extends into infinity, waiting to play Wonderwall to an exhausted audience with thousand-yard stares brought on by the endless renditions of Wonderwall, each somehow shittier than the one before it. Meager applause fills each performer with misplaced encouragement. They don't realize the audience isn't clapping for them. They're clapping because it's over. A, temp <clears throat> a temporary reprieve from the caterwauling of junior college dropouts with phony British accents and limited musical ability. Dude, there will be plenty of opportunities for your mediocrity to be rewarded. Today is not the day. Thank you. Some people are some if you feel if you feel called out by that, I, it's time to re it's time to reevaluate your own life, reevaluate the decisions you made. You make all these people make fun of oh, poetry saying poetry. That, 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 you know what? I've seen your I've seen you play Dave Matthews band. I've heard that. What would you say? I would say you need to take lessons. That's what I would say. All right. Um, <clears throat> thank you. Um, I'm not anti-beard. Um, I'm not. Uh, I hang out with Sully a lot. Um, I tried to grow a beard once. Uh, people said it would stop itching. It didn't. Um, so that was a lie. That's uh, just beard um, propaganda. Um, but there is a specific type of beard uh, that I don't like. Um, <clears throat> so this is about, um, there's a neighborhood in Chicago called Logan Square um, that has become like, hyper gentrified, uh, pretty fast. Um, Sully used to live there back in the day, uh, when he had, uh, he had a bootleg Ed Hardy hat, uh, but he lived by a, um, uh, 
by any Lotte stand. So I wouldn't mind picking him up because I would always get a Lotte. He'd get his Ed Hardy hat. Uh, he'd polish the uh, the rhinestones on it and then we were good to go. Um, <clears throat> but there is this kind of like smugness of some of the things because I, I, unabashed, I live in the suburbs. I pretty much have always lived in the suburbs. Uh, part of that is I have a lot of anxiety. Uh, so city living isn't really for me, but also, uh, you know, being into punk rock and, 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 you know, being exposed to a lot of political punk rock, one of the bands in Chicago, um, that was around, that was big was, uh, Los Crudos, which is a very political, uh, band, uh, based out of, uh, Pilsen. And, and, and they talked a lot about like how, you know, white art students were moving into the neighborhoods. And this is a, this is a Haymarket event. So you understand how, uh, you all understand how, uh, gentrification works. So I don't have to go into it, but I was, I was like, maybe I shouldn't be moving into So, um, anyway, um, it's cool if you want to live in the city, but it's also like, you know, you, you got to know what you're, con- you know, are you actively fighting for it or are you passively working against it? I guess. So, um, <clears throat> this is called For the beards of Logan Square. I do not like your beard. Your beard is dumb. Your beard is not a beard at all. It is a shame blanket. A crusted heap of calcified stalactites running away from that smirk on your face. The same smirk you give me when I tell you I live in the suburbs as if you weren't from the suburbs or Iowa as if your beard didn't mark the starting line for gentrification, as if your beard isn't the reason landlords started jacking up the rent. Your beard remembers how this neighborhood used to be, does not realize it's the reason why it is not. Your beard is oblivious. Your beard craves street credibility. It brags about the shootings in your alley. Your beard is arrogant. It is not bulletproof. It does not work for peace. It does not worry about crime rates until its bike is stolen. Your beard knows all the best bars. Your beard knows where to get the best tamales. Your beard thinks itself soothsayer. Your beard tells tells half-truths. Your beard is a crusted heap of calcified stalactites running away from that smirk on your face. Your beard is not a beard at all. It is a shame blanket. Your beard is dumb. No, I do not like your beard. Present company excluded. Thank you. All right. Omar, Omar. I mean, this is this is great. I love I like I haven't done too many things like on Zoom. Uh, so it's cool for everyone else watching. All I can see are the three or the four people that, uh, I invited to this. Um, so that's, and, but they're smiling. So that's really all that matters. And my girlfriend's watching from, uh, upstairs and my son is ignoring everyone. And my dog is passed out. Like, yo, let's walk. Um, I got a couple more. Uh, so thank you for hanging out. Um, everybody, thanks for showing up. Um, this one is about, um, where I really started to get into, I was in a band, I was in a hardcore band. Don't ask, not very good, not on Spotify. Um, I have uh, 50 CDs uh, that we did not sell in my attic that I just can't get rid of. Um, so maybe maybe there'll be a giveaway that nobody wants. Um, but uh, there's this scene on the suburbs called uh, DuPage County, and there's a bunch of uh, they do a lot of basement shows, basement shows all the time. And there could be 75 kids jammed into a basement. There could be seven kids. It didn't matter. It was just, uh, it was, it ruled. So there were a lot of cool parents, um, who did a lot of cool things for the kids that we, uh, of course, didn't appreciate at the time. But now as a parent and a homeowner, I'm like, 
wow, you let these garbage kids into your house weekend after weekend. So props out to all the cool, uh, to all the cool parents out there. Um, this is called Ode to a DuPage Basement Show. <clears throat> there are cool parents in the suburbs who prove it by allowing their kids to throw shows in their wood paneled basements so long as nobody fucks with the washing machine. Parents who go over to the neighbor's houses in the afternoon, chit chat about weather and golf, then ask them not to call the cops about the noise. Parents who sit in their comfy chairs, reading newspapers and waving to the parade of patrons made uneasy by the sight of supportive parenting. Parents who know nothing of the scene, but who remember that being a kid can be as brutal as the heaviest riffs fighting through their floorboards. All right. Shout out, parents. I think Omar, you're the only non Omar is the only non parent here. And that makes sense because you're you'll always even though I met you when you were at 25, you'll always be 15 to me. Um, so that would be weird. Babies having babies. That'd be that'd be messed up. Um, uh, all Sully does is make manuscripts and, and have babies these days. So, uh, you know, like maybe that's that just boom, boom, boom. One or the other. Um, this one, Kristen. Uh, this one's for my dad, but uh, Kristen has Kristen and I have a um, we have a friendship where we can talk about things that nobody wants to talk about with us. Uh, but we have found each other, and that is the uh, the history of the American uh, Civil War. Uh, and because as a kid, I was dragged around. Um, I when I told her that my dog's name is Elmer because we adopted him, um, she's like, Elmer Ellsworth, he's the first person killed in the, in the Civil War. I was like, that's not why he's named that way. But all right. Bonus, 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 bonus. Um, uh, but I was uh, we didn't go on big trips. We didn't fly anywhere. We drove everywhere. Uh, and my, what my dad would do is he would take us to he said, hey, we're going to go see the uh, the Atlantic Ocean. Cool. See the ocean. Uh, but we'd stop at thirty six. Civil War battlefields on our way there. So um, I still have a little bit of resentment. Uh, I got this. I'm going to do one more. Um, <clears throat> so uh, it's for my dad, but he's probably asleep and not paying attention to this. So, Kristen, this is for you. Uh, this is called The Civil War Battlefield is Not a Water Park. This battlefield is not a water park. It is not fun for the whole family. The only things that ever flowed here were blood and sweat, my sweat, my brother's sweat that cascaded from under our white socks caps like overfilled buckets. My mom and sister stayed in the car blasting the air conditioning and new kids on the block cassettes, and I hate them for it. Not enough to shoot them because of conflicting views of slavery, but enough to dunk each of them in a wave pool in a water park where we definitely are not at. There is no joy. No relief from Virginia weather at one in the afternoon in July. We walk through Bloody Lane, a great name for a country road where thousands of soldiers drowned under a wave of artillery fire, but a poor name for a water slide, which I am not on. My dad is not a lifeguard. My dad is not a tour guide. He is a drifter. He floats through this field as if he is wearing a life jacket. We are rocks in his pockets, keeping him down. We cut him free, find our way back to the car, whip the doors open to feel that splash of air conditioning drenched only in sweat. We find a use for those towels after all. All right. All right, y'all. You know, in a book that's a lot about like, punk rock and growing up had had to had to give a shout out to uh 
Uh, Antietam, uh, bloodiest day of the, there we go. All right. So, uh, this is going to be my last, uh, my last poem. Um, and I've been keeping it together pretty good. So I'm going to, I'm going to try to try to go that way. Um, again, Thursday, if you are in Chicago, uh, coming out, I'm going to have books. Um, I made, I made stickers because, um, I am 43 years old and I still ride skateboards, uh, every Sunday, uh, with my friends in a parking lot. And so we needed to have stickers to put on our skateboards. Uh, so I did that. Um, we had on, yes, I'm going to pass. I'm going to send out these stickers to everybody too. Um, it was great. Uh, we were skateboard. Halloween was on a Sunday. So we went skateboarding on Sunday and there's this like breakfast spot in the uh, parking lot where we skate. And a woman came up to us and she said, well, what are you guys supposed to be for Halloween? Um, and we said teenagers. And then um, she looked at us really funny and walked away. So um, anyway, uh, shout out. So if you are in Chicago, um, yeah, come out uh, Thursday. Um, if you are not in Chicago, I feel bad for you. But also um, if you order the books, there is a sale uh, at um Haymarket has crazy sales. Um, they are going to be, I think they're 40% off. So this is a $10 book. So it's only six bucks uh, that you can get $6. I know, Kristen. So you know what you could get? If you have $10, you could buy one of these books and then you could buy the complete HBO Deaf Poetry Jam on DVD at half price books with the other $4. So uh, I'm just saying, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Um, <clears throat> So this one, uh, so I, uh, I'm straight edge, but not like in a, uh, like not like in the asshole way. Um, if you're not, I'm pretty cool as long as like you do cool stuff. Um, but, uh, I, you know, Kristen, I know, uh, Kristen is, is, is sober and, and, and so we've always, it's just funny trying to be, um, being sober in different scenarios. It's not really as hard as people think, but it's like, it's more funny than anything. It's cool when I like tour with Sully because everybody just like, uh, and they buy us both drinks, but they both go to Sully. Uh, and then he's like the most fun for like 45 minutes. Then he's terrible. Um, but those 45 minutes, it's like the sunset, you know, like it is, it is just something else. Um, Natty, uh, Natty, 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 Natty. Uh, I miss you a lot. Uh, we're going to get Judah, uh, and you're in Texas. So we're going to have to fly down there. Uh, cause then we're going to grab Kristen. We're going to grab Judah. We're going to grab the kids. Uh, we'll go party. Sully, you can meet us down there. Omar hang tight. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll get to you. We'll get to you. Uh, I hope to see y'all soon. Uh, hoping to get out to AWP in Philly. So Kristen can show us around Omar. You're close. Take the train. Um, and I, I love all of you. Um, there was no doubt about who I wanted to invite to this. So thank you for showing up. Uh, this is my last poem. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So this is called uh, Straight Edge Kid Goes to a Rave. <clears throat> Straight Edge Kid Goes to a Rave. And he dances poorly to what will later be described to him as trance. His feet can't catch the rhythm that undulates and buries itself crescendo upon crescendo as if his feet were looking for a beat that refused to drop. Condensation covers the walls and floor, an unholy mix of sweat and humidity mopped up by the cuffs of jeans the size of sewer caps. A girl wearing a Care Bears ringer tee asks Straight Edge Kid if he wants some Coke. Straight Edge Kid wonders if she has any Sprite 
Then he remembers where he is and responds, no, thank you. He is not having a bad time, despite the heat and lack of earplugs. This is not his scene, but he admires the DIY ethos in play to pull this off. He wants to be a good sport. He wants to prove he can hang until the police arrive at the exact moment his friends are peaking on ecstasy. Straight Edge Kid is babysitter, smuggler, superhero, and designated driver. He guides his friends out of back stairwell with the promise of pancakes at the Golden Nugget. Despite the swooshing sounds emitting from their oversized pants, they escape into the 4 a.m. air, bass ringing in their ears like tiny echoes whispering freedom. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, I love y'all. Uh, Haymarket, thank you for putting this together. Erica, Sean, appreciate you. Erica, I more than appreciate you. You know, you know, we, we go way back. Um, thank you for everybody that be for being here. Sean from Australia for checking it out. Uh, I see you. Um, yeah, that's it. Hi, Kristen. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Stafford. What? Six dollars? Six dollars, y'all? You try walking around with six singles. You know what? You try to get anything close to what you will experience in this book. It is impossible. And you're supporting. You know what? This, this is stocking my man, my mom made for me when I was a child. Look. Yeah. Fits right in. Right in. Fits right in. Right in. You may have to bet but right in. I'm just saying, you are supporting an independent artist who tours the country, uh, bringing his joy to the masses and teaching school children to love poetry. You're supporting an independent press, which helps bring diverse voices to the masses as well and shows uh, the plurality of what it means to be an American and a poet. And uh, you can buy it at your local independent bookstore and support them as well, or you can just go to the press directly for $6. So thank you everyone who came to uh, celebrate Tim tonight. If you're in the Chicagoland area, please go to the Lincoln Lodge, follow Tim Stafford on Twitter and Haymarket Books for more information. Thank you, Natty. Thank you, Sully. Thank you, Omar. And thank you for the reason for the season, Tim Stafford. So blessed to know you. So excited for this book to get out in the world. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.